I'm joined by a man today who needs no introduction, Jack Posobiec. He's fluent in Chinese. We're going to talk about the riots, the chaos, the protests that are in China. We're also going to talk about Cardinal Zen. You know, Jack and I were talking about this story up leading up to Thanksgiving. Actually, it wasn't even quite a story yet. And now it's blown up into just chaos. We'll look at some of the video and, and some of the just horrendous things that are happening in China. Jack Posobiec, guy's got, what, 1.9, 1.8 million followers on Twitter. Uh, I follow him daily, sometimes hour by hour. Jack, welcome welcome aboard. Hey, Taylor, thanks again for having me on. And uh, again, as usual, I, I wish we were under better circumstances. But and, and you're exactly right. And I hope everybody out there realizes what we're trying to say is that we were planning to already do a, an episode today, an interview. And we'd had this locked in from before the break and said, hey, we knew that Cardinal Zen was going to be sentenced. The sentence came down on Friday Thank God, by the way, it looks like she kind of blinked on that one because he only gave him a fine rather than throw him back in jail, which we all know is what he wanted to do, which only, by the way, speaks to the power of the Christian and the Catholic movement inside China that still exists. Um, and then yesterday, of course, on Sunday, we wake up to these mass protests all because actually when I saw it, it was right before I go to bed. I have this habit of just doing a quick news scan just to see if there's anything popping, what's happening. So I, I go to bed on on Saturday night. I pick up my phone and take a look at it, which is always the worst thing you want to do, by the way, when you're going to bed. And I know there's, there's probably a my pillow joke in there, but um, that, you know, the worst thing to do before you go to bed is pick up your phone because then your dopamine starts hitting off. The blue light's going to keep you up, et cetera, et cetera. And suddenly I see these. And I see what the, what do you mean protest in Shanghai? There's no protest in Shanghai. That's not a, it's not something that happens. And, and I looked at where it was and it said Urumqi road in Shanghai. I said, well, wait a minute. That's just, you know, that's just one uh, district over from where I used to live in Shanghai when I lived there for two years. So this is in the area, by the way, Urumqi road. It, it's one of the most prestigious areas of Shanghai. It's actually used to be called the French concession. And it's still referred to today as the French concession. This was during the time that Shanghai was a treaty port after the Opium Wars. This was the French area. And there were there was a Western area, a British area, an American area. But the French concession really had that French imprint left on it. So you still, even to this day, see uh, tree-covered roads, like, like archways crossing the roads. You see these French-style villas all throughout the areas, even some mansions from the French merchants and, you know, the, really the, those trade barons that used to be there. And it just, and then cafes and little coffee shops and, and bakeries. It feels like this interesting mix of France and China all kind of fit together right there in downtown Shanghai. So to see a protest take place there, which is something that in my entire two years, I never once saw, never once uh, saw or even heard of a protest like that taking place inside China's largest city, 25 million people uh, or 25 plus, I should say, because it's hard to even get a grasp on that. And they have these migrant workers that come in from the provinces that I knew something was up. And I said, what's going on? Because I need to dig onto this. Well, uh, suffice to say, I didn't get very much sleep that night because I started digging and digging and then realized that these protests weren't just going on in Shanghai. They were going across the entire country. And it had all been predicated by a horrific. And and, and the, the more I look into the situation, it was a, an apartment building in Xinjiang that caught fire. 
And when I look at it more and more, I realize that this wasn't just some horrific tragedy, that this was actually a massacre. Yeah. It was a massacre because those people had been welded into their homes by the Chinese Communist Party in the name of zero COVID lockdown policy and the zero COVID agenda that came down from Xi Jinping. And, and because Xi Jinping, prior to his uh, National Party Congress last year, saying, or excuse me, last month, just a few weeks ago, was saying that this was his policy. So all the local cadres were in displays of fealty, tried to outdo one another to see, well, whoever could show the most fealty to the emperor by adhering to their strategy would then be the one showered with the most rewards, fast track to promotion, get out of a place like Xinjiang, maybe come down to the central government, et cetera, et cetera, move up the ranks within the party by showing your support, showing your fealty. This goes back to the days of Mao. This goes back even to the days of the emperors. Uh, this is a very long-standing tradition that you see with the public officials in China. And so if the lockdown becomes the strategy, right, if that's the thing of the day, right, if that becomes what the, the emperor wants, so the people got welded in, cars were strewn around the building to a point where when this fire broke off and anyone who's ever lived in a high rise, if you lived in New York or Chicago and you know about fires in, in these high rises, you know, I mean, it, it makes you think of 9-11, the firefighters. You think about, you know, if you're above the fire, you're in a very dangerous and very precarious place because if you can't get to those uh, those those stairwells, if you can't get to the elevators, they stop running, et cetera, et cetera, you are trapped and you may not make it. Well, in this case, not only were the people trapped because of the government's order, the Chinese Communist Party's order, even first responders were not able to get into the building. And there's there's videos, and I, and I know you have some of them where, and, and we'll show this for the folks, that as the building is on fire and people are on the phone with their loved ones, with families, with children, the, the fire hoses can't even reach the fire because they can't get close enough to be able to extinguish the flames. And you've got Uyghurs in there. So of all the ills that have been done to the Uyghur people over the past years, and now we've got this on top, an absolute massacre, as well as ethnic Han Chinese citizens. They're both living in this area, in this building. Uh, details are still kind of murky, but just to put everyone, to put everyone's perspective on this, as you were sitting down to your Thanksgiving dinner, as you were carving the turkey and you were sharing the stuffing and the cranberry sauce and for us pierogies and kibasi because as at, a, at the Pasovic household that's what we have that's what was going on in china and that powder keg that had already existed of these lockdowns the terror lockdowns we were calling them on on human events daily and we had actually done a few shows about these lockdowns back in october explaining pretty much what i just said about the fealty and the emperor the coronation and now we realize this was the spark that lit the powder keg and it's going out across the entire country right now yeah let's let's run this video here this is one of the ones that you shared on twitter and by the way if you don't follow jack on twitter it's at jack Pasovic. it's on the screen right there but this was one of the ones where you can see like the doors are wired i'm just going to run a little bit of the clip you won't see it jack but the people watching live will see it uh here goes <laughs> That's the
所有的消防第一通通道和门，我刚才酒店有七十多号人，一旦出现了问题，无法无法解决。现在社区还没给我给个答复。So what, what's going on there? What are they saying?、Uh, by the way, Jack's fluent in Chinese. So what's going on there, Jack? Oh, it, what what they're doing is they're explaining that you know this is being done for your your good. This is being done for your own good. This is being done to prevent the spread of COVID. I love, by the way, even when you listen to CNN and MSNBC now, they're saying, well, of course we do have to stop COVID. We have to stop COVID. So they won't. Actually, criticize the lockdowns. They're covering the protests, but CNN has to play this weird game where they cover the protest, but they can't actually criticize the lockdowns. They can't criticize the COVID lockdowns, the COVID mandates,、uh, the vaccine mandates, etc., etc. By the, the White House this morning, one of the most mealy-mouthed statements I've ever heard in my life, saying, "Well, we respect the right to protest, but at the same time, lockdowns are important." But you shouldn't go too far with that, and they all just sort of end up with. And remember to get vaccinated and boosted. Make sure you get vaccinated and boosted because that's what that's what we really, really should focus on right now. Not the people that were burned alive in their own homes because of the stupidity of their own government. Again, which which by the way, and and I talk about this over and over that it's the Lao Beijing. The old hundred names—that's what they're called. The people、mm-hmm. of China that were always the first victims of the Chinese Communist Party. Whether you want to talk about the starvation of the 1950s and the Great Leap Forward, and the abject insanity of the mass murder in the streets of the the Cultural Revolution, when and and we're seeing elements of a Cultural Revolution here in the United States in in 2020, and then a little bit even still going forward with just this, you know, parent against child and. Uh, children being told to rise up against your your teachers and your principals and your your family members. You and you have to you you know you have to label them right wing extremists. Well, and you know this concept of the struggle session, right? This came up came about because of the Chinese Communist Party. All of that really culminated in a desire for more freedom. That and I know a lot of people have been asking me about this. So that culminated in something called the protests of 1989, and. The protests of 1989, which of course ubiquitously took place in Tiananmen Square, but also throughout the country, just like what we're seeing today. Now, I've had to correct a few people on this one because the Tiananmen Square protests, yes, obviously took place in Beijing, but that's the only reason we focus on those is because that's the only one we know about from Western press. There are actually reports of protests that were going on all throughout. The other major cities as well, just like we're seeing today. But because now we have social media, these guys are posting, and it's so brave because they know they know the stakes. They're posting these things up. They're posting the videos, and they know the consequences. This, you know, the censors are trying to take them down as fast as possible. But every time it comes out, somebody outside of China is able to grab it and then share it before it gets taken down inside of China.、And、one of the things they're doing is they're holding up these pieces of white paper, and they're calling it the Baichir Guoming. So the Baichir Guoming is, or excuse me, Baichir Guoming. Is the the white paper revolution, and the idea is that since every slogan is censored, right, you can't speak out against the party. They're just holding up white pieces of paper, and they say, "What is your slogan? Our slogan is no slogan. Our slogan is this. Our slogan is the, and it, it's a very powerful symbol, a very、yeah. very powerful symbol. And they're even chanting things in the crowd, like 共产党下台，共产党下台。Literally take down the CCP. Take down the CCP. Amazing. 
uh, Xi Jinping Xiaotai, take down Xi, Xi Jinping. Um, and and one of one of the interesting ones is uh, arise those who refuse to be slaves. And what's interesting about that, and they say, chilai, 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 which is arise, arise, arise. That's the first line of the Chinese national anthem. And so the problem for the CCP is that when your your rhetoric and your party was birthed through a revolution, if you maintain that revolutionary rhetoric, eventually there will come a day when it is turned against you. Now, we saw that in 1989. And of course, we all know the events, the bloody cobblestone streets of June 4th, 1989, Tiananmen Square. But what people need to understand is that those protests were vast, vast uh, vastly dwarf what we're seeing now in China, because this may be the start of something, maybe not, we'll see, right? But those went on for almost two months. People were camped out in Tiananmen Square, and that entire square is this massive, huge complex. It's like the National Mall, right? It's the only thing you compare it to in the United States. Uh, was just covered with students, with workers, with elderly residents of Beijing and other areas who came in to support and of course, we know the crackdown came on June 4th, the evening of June 4th, when the tanks rolled in. And what I've always said that one of America's worst moments was that in the aftermath of the Tiananmen Square massacre, that when President George W. or excuse me, George H. W. Bush, the senior, sent his national security advisor, General Snowcroft, over there one month later in July of 1989, he said, hey, let's make a deal. Let's let's work to keep you together. We want to keep China stable. I mean, they were isolated at that point. They could have been knocked over with a feather. But because people saw a monetary interest, a financial interest in doing a deal with the Chinese Communist Party, with our ruling elites, with the foreign direct investment had already been flowing since the death of Chairman Mao in 1976. So Deng Xiaoping takes over in 78. The, chair, the FDI starts going forward. People are getting rich off of this. They call it um, uh, Gongle Gaike. Uh, the reform and opening up of China. But what it really was is Western financial interests are getting in on China. So the deal became basically this. You guys provide the slave labor, we'll provide the financing and the Western intellectual property. Okay. So we know what that is today. We call it globalization, right? Globalism, the system of globalism, and which has metastasized, I would say, beyond the borders of just China, because now it's, it's taken over everything. This is what's gutted our cities in the United States. This is what turned the, the steel belt into the rust belt. This is what's gutted in many areas of the South. It's why Detroit looks the way it does and Shanghai looks the way it does, right? This, and, and people can, I think, correctly uh, intuit, right? You, you can go to talk to a UAW worker up in, up in Michigan. They'll tell you, right? China did this. And, it, and it's a sense of China, but it's also American leaders in bed with the Chinese Communist Party. And so I get this question all the time. They say, hey, you're, you know, you're Mr. America first. You're always, you know, you're talking about America. Why should we care? Why should we care what's going on with China? Well, I said, well, look, if you want to restore American freedom and you want to restore the ability of ourselves to have that economic power in the United States and actually rebuild our country, then you have to cut off this deal with the devil that was made with the CCP all the way back in 1989, that once you cut that off, then all of a sudden, uh, whether Wall Street or whichever one of these hedge funds and the investors, you, it's done, right? Then you can cut the whole thing down. Uh, if you're worried about big pharma, et cetera, it's, it all goes back to China. And so uh, I, thought, I felt so strongly about all of this and didn't quite understand it 
uh, as well when I was younger. But I, I said, you know, there's there's something going on with China. There's there's some issue here. I don't like how our country feels like it's becoming more more like them. So all the way back in 2006, uh, I took my first trip to China. Then 2007, I moved there. Um, was going to um, was going to school there. Did my fi- final semester of college. Then worked there for uh, ended up staying for about two years in total. Uh, learned Chinese, learned Mandarin, traveled throughout the country, understood the business relationship, and I saw what was happening. It was that American leaders would come over there, and this is before, by the way, we had Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum and everyone's favorites. Uh, you know, before they were coming out and essentially telling us what was going on, I could see the the building blocks already taking place because American leaders, and by the way, this is Republicans and Democrats. I hate to say, would come to Shanghai and they would go. They would go to a place called the Shanghai Planning Museum. When they go into the Shanghai Planning Museum, here's what they would here's what they would find out. By the way, I ran into Xi Jinping there one time because he was the he was the Shanghai Party Secretary when I lived in Shanghai before he became member of the Politburo and then obviously now the Chairman for Life. Essentially, that uh, I mean, just just total Tony Soprano guy, you know, the, the trench coat off the shoulders, the long coat, you know, his entourage everywhere. He's a big guy, real big. I mean, he's probably about six three, six four, which in China is 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 far above average. And, um, but when the Americans would come in, American business leaders and political leaders, they would say, so, so when you want to build, you know, your, your high speed trains, how do you deal with, um, you know, the, you know, the building permits and the zoning? So just, just build it. Well, what about, you know, what about financing? We just, we just give the money. We allocate the money. What about the people who live there? What about the cities and the people that have lived there in these, these historic, you know, neighborhoods that have been there for hundreds, maybe thousands of years. <laughs> and they say, what about them? What about them? Right. You just get rid of them. Right. And that level of total power or total government, as as they describe this, um, and, you know, and, and people remember I went to, to Davos last year. I got almost got arrested. It was, you know, it was uh, detained by Klaus Schwab's thugs and frisked and put up against the wall, all that fun stuff that, uh, it's intoxicating. This idea of total power, absolute power. Um, everyone remembers the famous phrase about that, that absolute worldly power can become so intoxicating as well as worldly riches, worldly goods. And so they saw this as a path to power. And so my thesis has been for a long time that what we're not seeing is it's not elite capture. Uh, China hasn't captured the Biden family and Hunter and the big guy and all this money from the laptop. No, no, it's a merger. What we're seeing is the merger. And in in the opening up of China, we were told, and I'm sure people, if you're around back then, you can find the articles that even when we gave back Hong Kong, even when we, I say we as the West, even when we brought them into the World Financial Organizations, the world financial system, we said, oh, well, opening them up to capitalism will make them more capitalist. It'll make them more capitalist. And then from economic freedom will we'll then flow political freedom and they'll become free and they'll become a democracy. And it's just going to happen. And actual Rose writes a whole album about it, right? That doesn't get released for years, Chinese democracy. And, and but it was written in, in the wake of all that. And it's actually the opposite that happens, right? It's actually the exact opposite that happens because as we become more exposed to the China model, we became more closed, more authoritarian. Our governments became more powerful. The Western governments are more powerful than at any point prior in our history than they are right now. All right. And COVID is just a, a, a symptom of that. COVID is a tiny little taste 
of the kind of power that they'd like to have. An unelected bureaucrat in Washington, D.C. can make policy for uh, a rural schoolhouse in Tennessee. It makes no sense, right? It makes no sense based on our system, but on their system, well, it makes perfect sense. That's exactly how it's supposed to work. The mandarins of Beijing set the policies throughout the entire country. That's what we saw in Xinjiang. That's what led to this horrific massacre. And that is, by the way, just the the struggle that these people are actually fighting back against, because I really do believe that there is something innate in all of us. Right. And this is this gets to those sort of, um, you know, Christian apologetics a little bit. But this there is this desire. There is this desire for something more, this desire for something more than just survival, a desire for something more than just, uh, you know, living hand to mouth and getting to your next meal, that there is a desire for something more that exists within the human condition. And why should that exist if, you know, raw, naked Darwinian natural selection was the was the genesis of our of our species? Um, what would the purpose of that be, right? It doesn't. It doesn't account for this. It simply doesn't account for this, and that's not even not even to get into uh, the internal programming of DNA, et cetera, et cetera. But it's it's this idea that's that's shown here in a desire for freedom and a desire for better conditions. And what you're seeing right now, quite frankly, in China is a slave revolt. This is a slave revolt. But I think what a lot of Westerners need to understand is. Those are the people that are making, you know, when you go to for your Black Friday sale, when you go for your Cyber Monday, and I know today's Cyber Monday, right? This is how you get your deals. This is how we ha all of our TV screens have gotten bigger and our freedoms have gotten smaller. Yep. Yep. You know, speaking of sort of the the shallowness of materialism, I was once upon a time a summer evangelical missionary in China. I think I told you that before. And uh, you know what book of the Bible they told us is the most effective for the Chinese? What? Take a guess. Book of the Old Bible. Old Testament. The Old most Testament. Effective for the Ch Exodus? No, it was Ecclesiastes. Vanity Ecclesiastes. of vanities. Sort of the seeking wow. of every single material pleasure ultimately is fleeting. They said for some reason mm. when we when we su suggest them to read something, that's the most like impactful. Like they come back with more questions. It's kind of interesting because as you were saying those things about just the failure of, of, of sort of the, the pursuit of all things materialistic, I was like, that's just like Ecclesiastes. That's what they told well, China, China's becoming extremely materialistic as well. And so a lot of people think that, you know, it's, it's easy to paint with a broad brush and say, well, they're ruled by the Communist Party, therefore they must be communist. Yes and no, right? Because they have vastly expanded financial freedom, economic freedom, in the sense that if you go along with the party, if you go along with their precepts, I mean, you can become fabulously wealthy. You could become extremely wealthy. The largest uh, casino city, gaming city in the world, Macau, is in China now, right? Uh, dwarfs Las Vegas. They beat them, I think, five years ago or so. They they surpassed Las Vegas, and they've only been going further and further. Um, and and there's you know they're not turning back. They're not looking back. And so. Uh, yes, materialism has made its way in China as well, but it's also been this sort of uh, this sort of tacit agreement that, OK, you can get financial, economic power, you can have material wealth, but political power, individual freedom, individual rights, you get none of it. Yeah. You will never get any of it. And so, sure, you can have McDonald's and KFC and Fifth Avenue and uh, Apple and all the others. Sure. Why not? But when it comes to when it comes to any actual power. Right. That can only go through the party. And the party's very clever in terms of this because they'll find somebody if you're not at the at the, the youth level. When you by the way, when you see the when you see a Chinese um, school photo and you see that 
Um, some of the kids have those red handkerchiefs, right? You know what I'm talking about? Everyone knows this, but look at the, look at the picture again, because you'll notice that not every kid in the photo has one of the, the red handkerchiefs. Why is that? Well, those are the young pioneers. Those are the people that have essentially been given uh, access membership in the youth version of the CCP, right? And so it, even at a young age, you're taught that to gain access into this, it's it's a highly selective and it's a great honor. This will give you accolades. This is your path to success. And then if you go to college, if you're in the military, if you're in business, they wait until you start to show some success and show some, uh, show some renown, show some skills, show some talent, some ability. And then you get a phone call or then you have a meeting and then someone comes up to you and they give you the offer. They give you the offer to the party. And uh, there's pretty much only one answer that's allowed when you're given an invitation to join the party. Pretty much only one answer, because I think you can imagine what happens if you say no. And so it's, it's interesting that if you, go, if you run the numbers on this, there's about 100 million members of the party, or just like 87 million, 85 million or something. But if you run the numbers, it's, it's, it's similar to the rhetoric of the 1% mm. in the United States, because it was even though that was the old Occupy Wall Street slogan, the 1% in China actually has a name. They're called the CCP. Yeah, that's them. Now, on that point, we can actually pivot here and talk about Cardinal Zen and a lot of people don't fully understand that going back to Chairman Mao, you have essentially a, CCC, a CCP Catholic Church, all versions of different religions. And there's been this, this friction between the Holy See, Rome, and the Popes going back to Ben the Sixteenth, John Paul II, John Paul I, Paul VI, Ron Cotley, all the way back. And we have kind of in the midst of it today, Cardinal Zen in Hong Kong, who's been very vocal, but has been neglected by Pope Francis, and he's been found guilty. He only got a fine. You, you referenced that earlier. Give us some background as it relates to C CCP, the Catholic Church, and what's going on with Zen. Right. And, and people need to understand that, that Cardinal Zen, by the way, was arrested uh, and what, what has been thrown in jail in the past. And this yep. was in the wake of the Hong Kong protests. Um, this new charge, which people thought was potentially going to be a life sentence, but and, right. and for him, I think he's I think he's 89, 90 right he's 90 now. I mean, right now, right. Even even a five year sentence might be a life sentence for him right. at this point, right? Um, so he he would to to suffice it to say, um, and with all due respect, I don't think that he would do very well in a Chinese prison. Uh, I think everybody knows that any prison time would be would be a life sentence for Cardinal Zen. Though, uh, from the CC, from a cynical perspective, you could say the CCP didn't want to make him a martyr. And I think that's probably what happened here, that they didn't want to throw him in prison because they knew what was likely to happen. Uh, and they didn't want to make him a martyr for Christians throughout China. But uh, to take it back a second, when I lived in China, right, if I wanted to go to Catholic mass, I could go to St. Ignatius Cathedral in Shanghai. And that is the that is the the seat of the diocese of Shanghai, the archdiocese. And. This was, it's an old Jesuit church back when the Jesuits were, you know, the real Jesuits, uh, back when they were spreading, you know, doing the actual work of evangelism and spreading Catholicism. And, and you know, when they, when, they, when they earned their renown, which has been completely squandered at this point, um, that there's some podcasts that don't like it when I say that, but I, I think I'm, gonna, I'm in good company here on that you're one. Good. You're good. That, uh, that, but I noticed that when I would go there, the priests would never really speak out against party they would never talk about anything that was going on in the country and and by the way some of the early crackdowns in tibet and xinjiang and some of these things were already happening while i was there i knew about them 
um, Xi Jinping was was coming into power. He was starting to amass his power. He was going after his enemies within the party, um, you know, taking out potential rivals, that sort of thing. And yet you would go to the church and you would you would get nothing. I mean, it's so bad. It was like going to an American church today. <laughs> ha And I thought, surely here, a church in a communist country, they'll they'll speak out and they wouldn't. And so I, I learned that within within mainland China, there were five religions that were approved by the CCP. And it's the Catholic Church, uh, Protestantism. It's just sort of a, a general blanket Protestantism, Islam, Judaism and Buddhism. And that's it. Right. So these are your five approved religions. But in order to operate, in order to operate, they chose the bishops, and they had been choosing the bishops, specifically for the the uh, the Catholic Church in China, um, since the institution of the party, all the way back in 1949, taking over the the People's Republic, or founding the People's Republic, and so Cardinal Zen and others. Now Hong Kong, and, and for people who don't know the distinction, Hong Kong never goes communist, right? The CCP, up until right up until about 2019 and that point in when cardinal zen made his stand and the brave protesters of hong kong made their stand hong kong had never gone communist all throughout the chairman mao era because it had been a british protectorate and the british protected it from uh from communism the ravages of communism so a lot of those uh those horrific things i just talked about the great leap forward the cultural revolution they never affected uh, hong kong taiwan as well and Macau, uh, 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 in, in addition, which was Portuguese. And so Cardinal Zen is in that fight, not only for Hong Kong, but for so many of the house Christians, the house churches, the underground churches, the people who say, oh, I don't want to go along with this bland, approved version of religion. I want the real thing. I want actual, again, we talk about going beyond the material level. I want something beyond this. And so those were the unapproved churches of China. And so numbers on the unapproved number of Christians in China, the, called the underground Christian movement, it's, it's hard to tell. Some people have said it's as many as 100 million Christians that are living in underground churches, going in, and when I say underground, I mean literally underground. Well, in some cases, maybe, you know, subway tunnels that have been abandoned or going out to fields on the outskirts of cities to meet. I mean, you're talking things that uh, we haven't heard since prior to Constantine, right? Yeah. That the church hasn't experienced since prior to Constantine or like something in the Middle East. So I, I and, and Cardinal I, I, Zen, let me, let me share Cardinal something Zen, here. I experienced that when I was in uh, Hangzhou. We went to an, I was not Catholic back then, but it was an evangelical. I remember you said you went to Hangzhou. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it was an evangelical. One of the most beautiful war. cities of China. It's Hang gorgeous. Gorgeous. It, is. it truly is. We, we had an evangelical praise and worship on Sunday. And it was underground. It wasn't official. So we couldn't sing out loud. So we all, right. everyone would come to this one place, but you wouldn't go all at the same time. You'd stagger it by like two or three minutes. So it didn't look obvious on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. Then all of us, put, you remember Walkmans, the cassette yeah. player? Everyone was issued a Walkman with headphones. And then we'd cue the praise and worship music at the same time with the headphones on. So we'd all hear the same music. Right to worship together, right? But it was, you couldn't sing it out loud. You had to be quiet, but you were experiencing the hymns and the praise songs together. And then there was like a quiet sermon and a Bible study, and then everybody left at different intervals so that no one would know we were all there. I, speaking of uh, speaking of old technology, I had to explain to my four-year-old what a DVD was over the weekend <laughs> because he found one at my, at my parents' house. 
And he was fascinated. He said, what? What is this ancient technology of a DVD? And he had never, yeah. he, had, he had honestly never seen it before. We threw it on some some old home movies. But uh, I, I have a story that's similar to that because on uh, one of the Easter Sundays that I spent in Shanghai, we went to, and we had this um, this Belgian this Belgian priest came in uh, and he was a bishop and he was visiting Shanghai and he was putting on Easter service for, and it was, it was meant to be a foreigner outward facing service for, uh, for Catholics. And so in order to attend this, because he was not a member of the approved church, approved archdiocese, it was only foreigners that could go. So none of my Chinese friends were allowed to come. None. Right. My the people that I've met with, people I went to school with, uh, my tutor, etc. None of them were allowed to come in order to get into. I'll never forget this until the day I die. In order to attend Easter service when I lived in China, I had to show my passport to a police officer. I had to show it to a Chinese police officer and he had to verify that I was indeed a foreign citizen and not a citizen of his country in order to attend Easter service. And so when I, when I look at this and I, I always go back, you know, if, you know, if, if the Bible is just a bunch of, but just a bunch of nonsense, why is it so dangerous? Right. Why is it so dangerous? Right. And, and I think the uncomfortable thing for, for me as a Catholic is to see Pope Francis extend the handshake to the right. CCP and enter into what people call the Vatican Chinese agreement. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because it's actually, I think it was flaunted this past week as well that the CCP chose a bishop without Vatican approval. I think that happened over the weekend. Have you seen that? Well, I, I actually didn't because I've, okay. I've been totally focused on on the protests right now. But it, I, when when Francis makes this deal with the CCP, one of the key points that Cardinal Zen and so many others uh, criticized him for was that he did nothing for the people of these underground churches who were arrested and are currently in prison. They're currently in jail in China to this day, persecuted Christians. And here's our, our, our shepherd, the leader of our flock. And, and they're going and saying, hey, we've got, a couple, we've got a couple missing sheep here, sir. We've got some people that have, and not just missing, but taken, yeah. taken away from they the flock. disappear. Right disappeared away from our flock. The wolves have come and taken them. They're still alive. We can still get them. Or even for the ones that aren't, we can at least do something in their memory. And, and it felt to so many people like a slap in the face to those that had been in prison for this, that those that had fought for this. And just imagine, imagine if you're one of those people, whether you're just a parishioner, a priest, a bishop, you're in jail in China, and you get that news that comes down that says, guess what? You've been forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. And everything uh, that you it, lived for, for the underground true church, the Pope's just like, eh, let bygones be got bygones. And that's it. it, it I, really I, I did an interview with, I did an interview with, with Eric Metaxas uh, recently, who is a, um, he, he's an evangelical, but he has a great book out called uh, letter to the American church. And, he he basically said you you are not meeting the moment mm. you're you're not meeting the moment at all that if you want the if you want the pews to be filled if you want people to singing from the rafters if you want you know knees down everywhere just meet the moment yeah just speak out against please please say anything 
about what we see, we can all see going on, the rampant sin, the secularism, the licentiousness going on in materialism in our society. And, and people would reward you, just show that moral leadership, moral clarity. That's the only thing people are looking for. And don't equivocate. Don't equivocate on this. Have compassion, of course. Have at- But compassion, uh, atonement and compassion require uh, <laughs> regret, require someone coming to you and, and asking for forgiveness. If you're not asking for that, if, if they're not coming and say, I, I do atone, okay, now we can, now we can go on that path. If it's unrequited, then no, of course not. That's, that's, that's what a lot of people don't seem to understand. And, and unfortunately, like you still see, and, and by the way, you know, at least in the U S um, we're starting to see some signs of life out of our, uh, the, uh, the conference of bishops, right. We're, you know, we're starting to see some new, some new chairmen, the pro-life chairmen that are being elected that have come forward and are willing to criticize Biden, willing to criticize Pelosi, particularly for receiving the Eucharist while clearly in a state of open, uh, I wouldn't go on to say, full on to say schism, but, but moral descent, moral descent from the church and moral church descent. teachings yeah, for sure. And so I, I, I applaud that. And I think, I, I hope that it is a sign I hope it's a sign that, and, and as if you have said so many times, that it's, we are not going to get this new direction from the hierarchy. It's going to come from the people. It's going to come from the laity, that they are going to send these signals up, and then we will find people to be our champions. We will find the people who are in there saying, I just want to follow what the catechism says. I want to follow what canon law says. I want to follow the actual traditions of our faith. And we're going to stand up for these things and not make deals with the butchers of Beijing in the name of, I don't even know what, right? In the name of, well, it'll be better and we can normal, it'll, it'll be much more stable and harmonious. By the way, stable and harmonious, that was the CCP's slogan prior under Hu Jintao, the prior uh, chairman of the party, right before Xi Jinping came in, stable and harmonious society was the name of his vision for all of China. So when the Vatican says, well, we need to establish stable relations with the CCP, when we need to establish harmonious relations, that's you're just copying CCP propaganda at that point. Yeah. It's their rhetoric. And, and speaking of rising to the moment. Hey, by the way, Christ did not come to be harmonious. Yes. <laughs> um. This would be a great moment for, I think, Francis and the Vatican to rise to the moment because when, you know, a cardinal, for those who aren't Catholic watching, I mean, cardinal, the highest under a pope is cardinal. All right, you got yes. priest, you know, monsignor, bishop, archbishop, metropolitan archbishop, cardinal, pope. Cardinal is the, the, is the highest you can go. And that he's been indicted, he's been found guilty, he's been put in jail, he's been fined. I mean, they're just slapping him around over there, and Francis does nothing. And the very fact that they have broken the Chinese Vatican agreement this past week by appointing a bishop without the apparent, you know, there's sort of a two-side veto, without consulting the Vatican and, and then just putting a bishop in. Which was always going to happen. Which we knew was going to happen. It's just like they're just flaunting it. Because I think they saw that Francis has done nothing, not lifted a finger to help Cardinal Zen. And I think that just empowers them to be more and more tyrannical. And I think that's what we're seeing on the state level and on the spiritual level in China. And uh, this would be a great moment, I think, for Francis to redeem himself and to rise to the moment. 
I don't know if he's going to take that chance, but it'd be a great time, right? Right about now. I'd pray for him too. I mean, how hard would it to be the Pope right now and say China's evil? <laughs> I mean, it's like a great opportunity right now. Or, or even to say something about the massacre in Xinjiang, yes. to even say something about the people who are being... By the way, the, these protesters across the streets, I, I, and I hope everybody knows that they're, they're all going to be rounded up. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in one case, they've already... I, I, I've even seen reports that the people who were protesting in Beijing have started receiving phone calls. Yeah. Because they're using digital surveillance on this. You're, you're, when you live in China, you're tracked 24-7. That's you so can't, scary. We're you can't that. just go... Right. You can't just go to something like this and then come home and then assume everything is going to be done. It's it's not like uh, even the 1980s at this point. It's, you know, they have facial recognition 24-7. Even if you leave your cell phone at home, right, and you don't bring it with you, they're not tracking your cell phone. They've got facial recognition. Uh, they can track you. They can find people who are with you. They started calling people now who were at the protest last night, and they say, where were you last night? What were you up to around 2 in the morning? Around one in the morning, who are you with? And this is the this is the great you know I was I spent a year deployed to Guantanamo when I was in the Navy, and this is the we you, we know all approach, right? Mm-hmm. The we know all approach is one of the the sixteen approved interrogation tactics uh, approaches as they're called, and say so we already know, we already know, so you might as well confess to make it easier on yourself because we already know what you did, you're already guilty, right? You might as well confess and. If you turn over some names for us, maybe things will go a little bit easier on you, right? Uh, the social credit scores get shut down, et cetera. And so people need to understand, this is what they want to bring to the West. Klaus Schwab is very open about this. We want to replicate the China model. He calls it the Great Reset, but it's the same thing. It's that idea of total government, total control. And they'll say, you know, and they're very clever, right? So they'll say, okay, well, you can have your approved religions as long as it's in an approved church with an approved priest, an approved homily, an approved bishop, approved cardinals, et cetera. And then if someone gets out of line, like cardinals in here, boom, you get arrested and you get hauled off. Okay. Yep. The, the, they're not playing for keeps. And, and, you know, one of the, uh, I, I always tell this to people that when I'm talking about, so, um, the events of Tiananmen Square happened actually before the fall of the Soviet Union and before the fall of the Berlin Wall. In many cases, some people think that it it it, it was sort of a catalyst for those events, which later, of course, uh, in the in the great and wonderful country of Poland, uh, this takes place in in 1989. The dockyards. Actually, I was just in Mexico with uh, with Lech Walesa, so I got to meet him there, which is which is incredible. Um, didn't think I'd meet him in, in Mexico City, but you know, it's just and you always have to give him credit for any for everything else. You have to give him credit for what he did in 1989, and then the Berlin Wall falls. But one of the key differences as to why the Communist Party of Russia, the Communist, the Soviets, fell in Moscow, was that in the Soviet Union, the, the Red Army refused to fire on their own citizens. Mm. When they were given the order by the party to fire, to take out these citizens, they refused. They said, we will not do this. In China, you have the opposite. In China, the tanks rolled. In China, the streets ran red with that blood and and over 10,000 students and workers just killed in one night, right? And and the West acts as if this isn't the same group of people that did all that and committed in our lifetimes, right? In our life, it's not some you know far off you know this you know Rome and the pits and no no in our lifetimes recently people who are were in the party hierarchy and party structure at that time are are still serving in some cases, right? Yes. Maybe the, you know junior levels, but they're still around, and so 
when you understand that if the if this party feels a threat to its own leadership, like it saw with the release of COVID-19, and not to go down that rabbit hole, but the when that thing got out, right? However it got out, uh, that we're on YouTube. They knew, so be careful what you say. Uh, right, okay. They knew that there was an issue of what they call the theory of dynastic decline and the mandate of heaven. And I talked about this on a little podcast called War Room Pandemic, episode one, season one, episode one. Uh, the very end, I'm talking about the theory of dynastic cycles. And that idea is that every dynasty in China has always risen, attained new heights, become prosperous, declined, fallen, become corrupt, and then eventually replaced during an uprising with a new dynasty. And the the dynasty is seen, and it, it, it kind of goes back to the divine right of kings that we saw in Europe, this idea that, well, if you have power, then you must have been given that power by God, and et cetera, et cetera. But in their telling, that a dynasty is falling when certain signs are seen throughout society, throughout the country. And one of those signs is foreign invasion. Another one is economic distress, famine, but also pestilence disease that spreads throughout the land is seen as a sign of dynastic decline and always has been historically in China. And because this is such a widespread superstition that the legitimacy of the CCP regime was then called into question by this. And so many people point out that's why Xi Jinping has been, it, it, it seems obsessive to us and it seems insane. Why would he do this? Why would you lock people in? Well, from his perspective, and of course I don't condone it, but what he's doing Locations is he's trying to fight back with everything he can because he views the legitimacy of the party on the line. But what it seems like happens is he went so overzealous with it and so overboard with the lockdowns in search of this zero COVID policy, which was always a joke. You're never going to be able to stop it completely. Even Dr. Fauci admits that. You're never going to be able to stop this thing. You, know, you can minimize it and mitigate it, but you're never going to be able to stop it. Then in doing so, uh, the same way that Chairman Mao thought that if you if you killed all the birds, you would get more crops because he said that, well, I can see the bird. I, I, I wish I were joking when I said this. Yeah, yeah. He said you have to kill all the birds because the birds eat the crops because he can see birds eating corn and that way you'll get more crops when it turns out that the birds were also eating locusts and and all the parasites and, and, and the bugs that were coming through. And so when there weren't any birds around because the party went in and slaughtered them all, uh, then all of the crops were destroyed, right? So, you know, I wish he had actually talked to like, like a farmer, like a regular farmer, you know, about this. This is why, again, folks, and, and just since we're on the subject of communism in general, um, it, it just, again, these things happen in cycles, right? You know, well, we're gonna, we can defeat the disease by locking people in their homes, right? It's right. the same type of mentality, this yeah. total power mentality. But I've always said that communism, it's, it's not an ideology. Communism is the politicization of jealousy and envy and greed of people who were not successful, people who were uh, losers in life and view their own inadequacies as justification for lashing out against anyone else in the world who is successful, the criminalization of anything normal, and everything else is just window dressing. Right. Do you think that we are seeing the end of the CCP? Is this it with social media and these protests? Is, is this something happening here or is it just a blip? Look, I, I pray for that. Um, 
you know, it's, it's something that I've dedicated a lot of my time and, and my life towards uh, learning Mandarin and, and focusing on it when I was in the Navy living there. Um, that being said, the party has, has incredible stranglehold on power in China right now, an incredible stranglehold. And so if, if this were to attain critical mass and if it were to go beyond this, uh, you would need to see a few things happen. You would need to see number one, sustained protest for months, mm. absolute months. So this is first few days, but we've already seen an incredible crackdown because look, they don't even need to send the police. They just call you, right? They just call you and say, Hey, we know where you were last night. You better not go out tomorrow night. Um, you would also need and you saw this in Tiananmen square to an extent that one faction of the ruling class, one faction of the CCP was siding with the people. Uh, his name was Hu Yaobang. You also had Zhao Ziyang at the time. Uh, various members of the ruling Politburo of the CCP actually sided with the protesters. We're not seeing anything like that now because Xi Jinping has, by and large, neutered every other faction of the CCP, either by imprisoning them or knocking them out of power, putting, appointing his own generals in the military, appointing his own judges all across the entire legal system, be there is a legal system in China. Uh, and so... I don't know that we quite have all the ingredients at this point. I know that's not what people want to hear, right. but I don't quite see all the ingredients that you would need for a full-scale regime collapse right now. That being said, uh, financially speaking, they are not doing well because these lockdowns, not only are they uh, ostentatious for the people who have to live under them and lead to horrific massacres like this in Xinjiang, but also they have an economic output, an economic quotient to them as well, because uh, China, as I said before, they are the manufacturing hub of the world. And so if they are, if they are the manufacturing hub of globalism, well, then you need people working in these factories. And this is what led, by the way, to the Foxconn um, uh, riots over prior to all this happening, because they're forcing people to work in these Foxconn factories because, hey, man, it's Q4. We need those iPhones to be on the ships. We need the, the tablets. We need the big screens. Christmas we need the coming. new IMAX. Christmas is coming. So you better be in there. So they're forcing people to work uh, with with no food, with no uh, no 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 days off, with no uh, relief. Right. Three shifts a day or, or two shifts and one shift off. Um, and at the same time, while being under, and people understand for these Foxconn plants, which are the largest manufacturers, uh, Zhejiang is, or, uh, excuse me, Zhengzhou is the largest one in, uh, for Apple in China, they're company towns. So the, it's sort of a dormitory attached to the factory. So it's, it's an, a fully enclosed bubble. And so they've got you once you go in there and it's, and, and it's, it's very nice and copacetic. I've visited one. They're very nice and copacetic when things are going well, it's actually not that bad, but you know, once, once times go wrong, you realize, wait a minute, these guys, they've got my kids, they've got my, my wife, they've got, and they can control me via putting the pressure on them, which is of course what the CCP has always done. Um, and if you, if you're not, you know, if they can tell, and because they have political commissars at every level and every, they call it Danway, which is your, your work unit. So there's a, there's a one guy in every, uh, you know, I guess for, for people who work in the office, every department, there's one guy whose job is just, he's the representative of the party, right? And this is the same is true for schools. The same is true for universities. And he's just making sure he's just making sure that nobody's, uh, speaking out. He's making sure that everyone's following what the party precepts have said. And he's, he's making sure that if you're, uh, malingering, if you're someone who's, um, 
you know, staying behind and claiming that you're sick and you're not actually sick, et cetera, et cetera. If you're not showing up for work, they, oh, they got your number and they will immediately start coming after your family in terms of this. And so people who, I'll put it this way, you know, for you know, my wife and her family, um, they come from the Soviet Union. My wife was born in the Soviet Union. And when you're from a country like that, you, you grow up with this internalized version of what uh, what military members would call operational security, OPSEC. They know that, you know, certain things you just don't talk about, certain things you don't say over the phone, certain conversations, you know, you have out back, you don't have inside the house. And then certain things you just don't talk about. Uh, it's hard for people who come from societies like ours to understand what it's like to live like that. But you also have to understand they've never known anything else. And so we can feel our freedom slipping away and, and, and we can point to all these various policies, but for them, it's been three generations of nothing but this again and again and again. Yeah, my fear is we start to see their demise or we start seeing in America and in the West social credit scores. Right. right? And the what kind of like what you're saying earlier, oh, Hong Kong and will make... China more capitalistic, but what we've seen is they're making us more communist. The, the Thatcherites said that in the 80s. They, they, you can go back to the op-eds and, oh, it'll be great, and it's, it's going to be this wonderful thing, and it doesn't mean we're losing our empire, right? Britain will be fine. And, yeah, yeah, we saw what happened. Yeah. So that's, saw everything that happened. that's the concern is that just as COVID spread from who knows what in China, that whole system, which is viral, it's, it is a virus, will yes. infect us so that we'll be sitting around thinking, well, can I even talk about that on the phone? Or what's my social credit score? Can but I you realize we're, we, we already are starting to live like that right. now. Yeah. You're already starting to Especially say- Especially on social media. As, as you just said, by the way, as you just said a moment ago, oh, whoa, Jack, don't talk about COVID yeah, origins. Yeah, we're on oh, YouTube. Oh, hold on, yeah. hold on. YouTube, you know, big YouTube doesn't like that. Big brother YouTube didn't, Brenda over there, you know, doesn't doesn't like to talk about that on YouTube. It's, it's the same deal when, I, when I'm on Tim Pool. He's yeah. like, oh, Jack, here's a list of the-, uh, <laughs> the I actually broke one once, but we were good. Um, and, you think uh, totally Twitter and Elon- um, by having Twitter more open, has that played a role? Because really the only stuff I'm seeing that has video footage and up-to-date info I, on China, I've been seeing on Twitter. Really? They're not what... sharing it on TikTok? Why is that? <laughs> you know. Exactly. Do you think yeah. that the, the shift with Elon and Twitter is, is helping this, this exposure to what's going on with the riots and and de demonstrations in China? Well, it certainly is fortuitous, and, and you, it's certainly a blessing that it's happening at that time. Yeah. Because if anyone else were at Twitter right now, you might, they would go into this, just, you know, these the, the fake bureaucracy, the Kafka-esque explanations of, oh, the community guidelines, and we have to fact check these videos, and that's actually the wrong city. You said it was Zhengzhou, but it was actually Zhejiang, and, you know, and suddenly the videos start getting taken down, or or what, what is the new one? And even Elon said this, which I'm not an Elon fanboy, um, but I, I appreciate what he's doing. I do. But, you know, when I hear him saying things like freedom of speech is not freedom of reach, and I understand uh, all of his uh, ties to the CCP, all of his uh, the showroom of Tesla in Zhejiang and, and Xinjiang and the vast amount of factories that he has, what do you call it, the Gigafactory in, in Shanghai that, you know, I, I have to know. You know, Elon, you, you've got workers in Shanghai. How come you're not tweeting about this, right? How come you haven't said anything about it yourself, Mr. Freedom of Speech? So I'd put that out there on, on Elon to say, you know, you know, if you're willing to say that for other 
companies, why wouldn't you say it for yourself? So Elon, though, that being said, I will give him credit because what he's doing, right, what he's actually doing with skin in the game uh, at a level that none of us none of us have. Right. That he doesn't have to do that. He could be perfectly fine. I think he he's certainly quite vocal about the amount of money he's lost by embarking on this endeavor. Um, it is amazing. And I, and I, so I, when I, when he, when he does well, I will give him credit. And I think I saw earlier today, um, just recently that I guess Apple is, is threatening to take Twitter off of the app store. And yeah. Elon's response has been to essentially say, I will go to war with Apple then because yeah. Tim Cook, you have, you are my enemy. And so, uh, I have to say when I, when I see stuff like that, I, I gotta, I have to applaud it because that yeah. is exactly the type I, of and attitude. the answer is an Elon Musk phone, right? Well, an Elon phone, or at least simply simply a browser, where you could where you would have the same functionality as an app. I mean, it really shouldn't be that hard to come up with. Why do we even still use apps at this point? Yeah, your phone should be able to have uh, an open software where you could simply use a protocol, and then you wouldn't need to go through this or the you know the store. app store or the place or these are monopolies right these are yeah. these are monopolies that have been set up by the companies that have been backed by government in order to set up uh payment cartels so that apple gets 30 percent of everything that goes through and in in no other industry would we condone anything like this whatsoever it would be like if you want to buy a car you have to go through a certain company to get it's ridiculous right it's completely right. ridiculous and so we no, we wouldn't allow it I don't, I don't think we should but i do think that when it comes to china it's 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 that idea of of breaking up this relationship uh between the elites in the in the west and the elites in china if we can break up with that if we can be the forcing function to actually go to our and it will take political power it certainly will take political power to say look we've had a great ride uh everybody's got these wonderful tv screens and laptops and technologies we get it okay but we also want to stop selling out our people to stop selling out the people of china we understand this is being done by slave wages it is the only way that we will save our countries and our own national sovereignties. It will be, it's the only way that we will be able to prevent the spread of the Great Reset, restore and preserve not only, obviously, our freedoms uh, and freedom of speech, but also our religious practices. You're, you're seeing this uh, in, in the U.S. Senate right now, where they have a bill coming up that's starting to say that, they're going, that they may go after the tax-exempt status of churches if you do not agree with same-sex marriage. That is actually a bill that is potentially going up in the United States Senate right now. So people need to realize what situation we're in because yeah. uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure the church that I go to ha- holds as a little bit, a little bit of a, uh, of a rule that, you know, marriage only goes one way. Yeah. Unless you go to a Jesuit church. Well, you know, again, the Jesuits. <laughs> the Jesuits. Now, let me ask, where does Trump fit in all as we move into the presidential election in two years. Interesting question. Um, how does, so, how does and I, you know, I did America earlier, first you know, and MAGA and China and production and trade, how big of an issue is this going to be in the next presidential election or is it even going to matter with all the other issues? Well, you know, and, 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 and I'm sure you saw before getting a lot of attention now that I did tweet out that I'm, I am going to dinner for, at Mar-a-Lago this, yes. later this and week. I, I'm going as your bodyguard. Oh, you will? Okay. Good. Well, I have to bring at least one uh, controversial uninvited guest, so it might as well be Dr. Taylor Marshall. Um, Either me or Milo or, you know, someone like that. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) And so, um, so actually, I was thinking about bringing my kids. Um, That uh, 
what Donald Trump did in 2016 was he was the only major political figure that I've ever seen in my lifetime actually talk about these issues that the Republican Party and the Democrat Party and the establishment of both sides, they would be so happy to go back to just talking about um, the social issues and, you know, fight over that, fight over abortion, fight over marriage, fight over this stuff over here. They do not want to talk about these trillion dollar issues because everybody is feeding from that trough. Everybody. And I've always said that the locus of MAGA really centers around this idea, these ideas of economic nationalism, trade, which I've talked about here, and then borders, having control over uh, who is able to come into your country and who is not able to come in, having a system set up that benefits the people who live in your country first, because if you're uh, one of the reasons that low-income workers have never seen a, a pay increase since the 1970s meaningfully in the United States is because we've had open borders. And when you're constantly bringing and importing uh, low-income workers, then it creates a deflationary pressure on those wages, which in turn, by the way, leads towards uh, – so you have, an, you have a decrease of wages, then you have – a situation where people aren't able to accumulate wealth, they're not able to, to purchase homes, you put off family formation, yep. which leads you to a situation where you your birth rate falls below replacement. Right. And so because the mom's got to work. Right, right. So you need to dual income households, right. you need you need all of these things. And, and then the price for childcare goes up, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So I, I've seen uh, Chuck Schumer and AOC have talked about it recently, they said, they said, well, we need open borders. Uh, because Americans aren't having enough kids. <laughs> and and I said no it's the opposite I said right. we it said because of open borders Americans aren't having enough kids and 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 I've laid out the the reason why and so when you look at Donald Trump he's really been the only person that I've ever seen that's that's talked about these issues that put them front and center of his campaign in in addition to by the way giving us the the most conservative supreme court that we've seen in our lifetimes in addition to passing policy policy after policy after policy for uh for the conservatives and and for religious believers in the United States that you've whereas other you know uh, other politicians I mean George W Bush right I remember going to the march for life uh when Bush was president and I guess I guess I would have started going when Clinton was president, but you know <laughs> he was—he wasn't exactly a factor at the March for Life, put it that way, because <laughs> um, I, I would have been, yeah, I would have been—I was in in grade school when I first started going. So yeah, Clinton would have been president, but there was always this—this this, how they made it such a big deal that George W. Bush was going to call in to the March for Life. Right. I, I, this is the I, way the establishment I went to those. treated. I went to those. This is yeah. the way the establishment treated the pro-life movement right. prior to Trump. Yeah, it was a call-in, and, and people need to understand it was a call-in, and that was a huge deal. Oh, it was oh, a big deal. I call it. Oh. oh, my goodness. The first president ever. Well, guess what? I was also in the crowd with my with my wife when she was pregnant, when Donald Trump became the first sitting American president to speak at the March for Life to be which, there. And and, and I'm there. not going to sit here and say that, you know, Donald Trump is, is some, you know, movement, conservative Christian right. pro-lifer. No, pro, pro, far from it. Right. But he showed respect. He showed respect to the pro-life movement, and he went to these different coalitions of the conservative movement and said, what do you want? What are your issues? I'll give it to you. I will give it to you. 
right? And he did that with the three judges that he was able to nominate. That's number one. But 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 also the reason that he was able to win back these states, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, the reason that if you go to West Michigan right now, you will still see Trump 2020 signs uh, waving and, and painted up on, on barns and on uh, abandoned mills is because those guys get it. Those guys just get it. That here was a guy who finally came. Michael Moore talked about this in 2016. Here was a guy who finally came to the workers and said, it's not your fault. It's the fault of the owners of these factories. And if you ship these automobile companies to Mexico, and if you uh, put your supply chain over in China, then I'm going to slap a tariff 30% on anything that comes across this border. Anything. And they were stunned because no one had ever spoken to these to them like this. That yeah. no one would say, excuse me, what you know, we, no, we thought the way this was supposed to work is that we give you contributions and then you give us our tax credits and you keep NAFTA going and all this. And you can actually go back to uh, those old videos of Trump from when he was on the Oprah Winfrey show back in the 80s. Um, talking about trade and talking about how America was being, he, he actually laid it out in real time for year after year going all the way through. And there's an old newspaper clipping, I have to find at some point where they were talking about, uh, this, this NAFTA conference was being held out at some business conference out in California, I think. And, uh, George HW Bush spoke and he was in favor of NAFTA and then Clinton spoke and he was the governor at the time and he was in favor of NAFTA. And then there's this paragraph that says real estate mogul, Donald Trump also spoke about NAFTA and railed against it for, for close to 90 minutes saying it would be the destruction of the United States. And I said, man, I've just, one of the, one of the, the many things that I'd love to be able to find is an actual recording of that you know, if there's a video of that somewhere of him talking about these issues, because what what he understands from a business perspective that I think nobody else had put together before, not the politicians of the Republicans or the politicians of the Democrats. And that's, that's not to say anything against somebody who's been in the political process, but a career politician fundamentally is not going to understand these business issues and in the way that they affect your national sovereignty. Because you as a people will have no power if you do not have economic sovereignty, if you do not have national sovereignty. And I haven't seen anyone, I haven't seen anyone at all in either party who's been able to stand up to those interests like Donald Trump has, like Donald Trump did when he was president. And then, if you remember, by the way, here we are, we've just done an entire almost hour and a half on China, and he was mocked in 2015 and 16 for talking about China the way he yeah. did. He was ridiculed there. You know, uh, Vox was making those supercuts of all the way, times he said China. And of course, the way he said China, which everybody loves. Um, but he was right. He was just right. And my worry is that if the Republican Party says, well, you know, we have to go back to the career politician model because these guys are, you know, a little more polished and they're less controversial and they don't have the mean tweets. Yeah. Is, is that you're going to lose all that. You're going to if you go back to Mitt Romney, guess what? Mitt Romney could never win. Nothing. Right. These guys could never win. Why? Because Mitt Romney looks like the guy who would send you to Iraq and then have you come home from combat and tell you that the factory closed, because that's literally what Bain Capital was doing, by the way. Right. right? He could never win those states. My home state of Pennsylvania. He could never win Wisconsin. He could never win Michigan because of these very issues. And I don't think, look, for better or worse, I don't think there's anyone else out there in the landscape that has that deep 
connection with the people of these areas that Donald Trump has. And that's just a fact. Yeah. And you can you can go through uh, the, the, you know, the, the data and the primary data. And, and, and by the way, it's, it's also uh, I think the Republicans did get a wake up call in, in some ways for understanding that uh, that doesn't just transfer to other candidates as well, that you can't just put up someone that the people aren't as familiar with and assume that they're if they run on this, this slate of issues, they're going to win, that there is uh, some work that needs to be done with the Republican brand, because Trump has a brand all on his own that is able to connect with these people. But you're you're sort of mealy mouthed Republican or uh, you take a guy who uh, comes out of New Jersey and then says he's going to run for Senate in Pennsylvania. You know, it was, I was not a, a huge fan of if uh, people yeah, remember. That was bad. Um, just just, you know, just people don't say, look, look, I've, I've always said this, right? Voters are. Uh, voters are busy, but they're not stupid. Yeah. Um, and you take a guy like Dr. Oz, you take some of these empty suits, they're going to perform exactly like a Mitt Romney. I'm sorry. Exactly. You're just going to see that. Exactly. And that's exactly what we saw in Pennsylvania in the Senate race. And you get this guy Fetterman who, <laughs> I mean, I don't even think he knows where he is half the time, mm-hmm. but he, he comes around and wears a hoodie and, and people say, yeah, well, you know, at least he's not Oz and then they vote for him. Yeah. Not to mention the ballot heart. And, and, and by the way, I don't mean to diminish the ballot harvesting issues, which as as a party, as a movement, as an organization, uh, look, if you're in a vote by mail state, if you're in one of these states, yeah. uh, the conservatives just have to get in on it. Right? That's It's as simple as that. They, they By the way, the Republican Party in California figured this out in yeah. Orange County and some of Orange these areas. County. They, they figured it out. So it's, you know, I want to hop the next flight to Orange County that I can to sit down. And I know people there. I could just call and say, hey, what what did you do? And then scale it. Just scale right. it nationwide. Yeah. Otherwise, we're just, there's going to be no more victories in the future. Right. Which which, by the way, um, I did tweet that uh, and that as well as posted on Truth Social. And so I truthed it. I think is what you say. I truthed it. And then and then Trump uh, retruthed my truth. No. So he 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 retweeted my, you know, my take on that. Yeah. So I think uh, the message was received. Yes. He he retruthed you. That's great. He retruthed me. Yeah. The, the, my issue, though, and I've, I've said this before, and I'll say it publicly, my issue with uh, calling it truth is that it says, post your truth, share your truth. Mm. And that one. that is the relativistic There's only standpoint. one truth. There's only one truth, right? There is only one truth. So what do you do with that? I don't know. I don't like it. Yeah. Things are true insofar as they agree with the mind of God. Right. That's it. Right. If, 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 and this is the, the traditionalist standpoint is that uh, a law is, is, is good, right? If it comports with natural law, if That's it arises correct. from natural law. And so in order to, uh, contain that formulation all the way back, you have, <laughs> you then at some point have to suppose that there is such a thing as a natural world, yeah. as a reality, as an objective natural world and an objective reality, and therefore follows an objective truth, which is one of an issue for, for many of the, uh, many of the atheists out there, because as, as you know, even Einstein, right, we were, we were chatting about this with, with Metaxas, they, he kind of buried the lead in the theory of relativity because he said, well, the universe is expanding and it's accelerating and it's getting bigger and, you know, and it's, and it's, it's this incredible thing and we can test it and we've equals MC squared and all this. And I said, okay, right. But expanding from what, right. you know, Einstein didn't want to get into that. Yeah. It has to be coming from somewhere. Yeah, and any truth, any law, you got to have a truth giver and a law giver, and we're on we're on the same page with that. Hundred percent. All right. 
Jack Basobic. Follow him on Twitter. Human Events. What's going on at Human Events? Well, so over at Human Events, uh, we just record. So prior to this uh, this special with you, we just re- pre-recorded a special that's going to drop here on podcast version, probably in about 40 minutes. And then tonight on Real America's Voice, we've got uh, just me, go- a whole huge deep dive, everything that's going on in China, why this is happening, what this relationship is. Uh, we're going to go through there. I'm also looking to, to try to bring on some China experts this week uh, to understand what's happening. Then, yes, uh, this weekend, I will be going to Mar-a-Lago. And we'll be able to report back everything that's happening on Mar-a-Lago from there. Also, our Sunday special. So your Sunday special we, we did recently on Halloween. Uh, fantastic episode. So people can go yeah, and watch that. Then, then this last, all about the occult and, and why we believe what we believe and what Halloween truly is and what it isn't and how people try to pervert it. This last week, we had Eric Metaxas on just a fantastic episode called Is Atheism Dead? Ooh, spicy. I yeah, love I it. I want to watch that one because I kind of feel like it's dying feels like and that's and that's sort of the idea is that we're, like we're 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 kind of just pushing it over yeah 10 years like ago it's, it's we had the done. four horsemen of atheism and it was all like cool and edgy to be atheistic and then sort of like the whole jordan peterson thing happened and that's just not cool anymore right now it didn't quite work yeah. didn't quite work even though peterson i don't know if he's a believer i think he's on the bubble maybe i think right. he's i think he said that he he finds god to you he, right, he, he 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 finds value in the Bible, but but hasn't yet uh, found a way to believe just yet. So we'll we'll pray for him. Yeah, we'll pray for him. We'll talk to him. Good. All right. Well, when you go to Mar-a-Lago, give me find out what happened with the whole Kanye West thing. I want to I want to know what. Oh, happened. I'll get all the tea on yeah, that. I'll get all the, the receipts. I'll get all the receipts. Get all on the receipts that, on sure. Yay and his campaign and his plan to win the U.S. presidency. That'll be interesting. Yeah, you gotta. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. If, I don't know if that's so much of a plan as it is a uh, as a general tweet into the right direction right, right. or or some direction at least. Awesome. But we'll see. All right, everybody. Thanks for watching. Make sure you like the video, share it on Twitter if you're watching on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, wherever you're at. Follow Jack over at Jack Pasovic on Twitter. Again, he's probably in my favorite, if not top five favorite tweeters on twitter and um yeah check out human events check out the new eric metaxas video uh podcast and uh thanks for watching thanks for coming on jack appreciate it thanks so much man all right everybody remember our lord jesus christ is the light of the world and the salt of the earth so go out there and be salty god bless 